Well, hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. It's been a little while, and I do apologize for not um, staying current with my podcast. I've been so busy uh, guiding whitetail hunters in both Kansas and Missouri, and I'm finally winding down, and I'm wore out. Too many 3 a.m. mornings. But I do have black coffee and I am chilling out right now. It's early in the morning and this is when I can get a lot done. So I try to get started with the day by making it productive right off the bat. So here we are. I've got another great podcast, great question. I encourage people to write me questions. I get questions a lot of times on Facebook. And I don't always have time to respond to everybody because I get so many questions and uh, I I feel bad because I've always been that guy that tries to do it all and there's just not enough time in the day. Um, But here's a question by someone that's followed me for years and it's a great question. But what's unique about everything is that there is a lot of demand for coyote calling competition questions to be answered because there's so many people that have really started getting the call getting getting into calling coyotes and they want to up their game they want to get better and i think that's wonderful because there's some people in life they're okay with killing calling and killing one or two coyotes in a day and they're content with that which is fine but then there's other people that want to up their game and they want to be killing that those 10 coyotes a day 15 coyotes a day and in order to do so you do have to be on a whole nother level some people as bad as this may sound there are some people that can never get to that level. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way, which it's, it's, it's obvious some people probably will take it the wrong way. Like I said, it's okay if you, if you don't ever want to get to that level. But, but the drive in, in humans, some people are content in life and they don't want to push themselves that hard. But to, de- to be successful in putting up numbers of coyotes, you have to be on a whole nother level. Now, I know other people that they kill a lot of coyotes and they are on another level. They're in beast mode. Um, I like to be in that mode when I'm going, but whenever I'm filming TV episodes, I can't be on that mode, if you know what I mean, because we have to slow down to film. So whenever we kill a coyote on a stand, we have to, then we have to back up and we got to refilm everything. So it takes a lot of time and see when I kill one coyote, I want to hurry up and get to the next spot because when, when coyotes are responding, it's almost like fish are biting. You've got to hurry up and get your bait back down there. Um, 
because I truly believe that when you're in an area and the coyotes are responding, you've got to make use of that time. But see, that's the old competition caller in me that comes out. And I'm a run and gun guy. I like to put up numbers. And, uh, you know, times have changed. It's no longer hand calling primarily. It's, it's I would say it's 95% plus e-call. Is that bad? No, that's not bad. It's different. I will say that because it's, there's so many sounds now that you can set on one stand and you can play 27 different sounds, blare the volume out there. And sooner or later, if a coyote, you finally trigger a coyote, he can come in. You can make him so mad that he just loses it and, and just comes ripping in. And I'm sure there's people that do that. They sit there and just every 30 seconds, start a new sound, start a new sound, start a new sound. Back when I was in competition calling, it was primarily just hand call. That was it. So I'm, I'm going to give you my assessment on, on, I thought was a great question. Less, do you try to pound out more stands in a day or do you try to focus on quality stands? There is a fine line there, okay? So if I pound out stands, the most stands that I ever made in a coyote calling competition in one day that I recorded was 26 stands. That's a lot of freaking stands. And that's just practically running out there, setting up and calling and sitting there for 15 minutes, then going back to the vehicle, trying to move or getting back on the wheeler and trying to go down the, down the ridge another half mile, mile. Um, that's a lot of stands, 26 stands. Or less, do, would you look at making quality stands, trying to make 15 stands in a day Whereas 60% of them were stands that I call coyotes on, which would mean about 50, uh, 10 stands. So make 15 stands in a day, try to get two thirds of those stands to have action by a, from a coyote. So that would mean 10 stands. So some of those are going to be single. Some of them might be doubles. So you may have the opportunity to call 10 coyotes. You may have an opportunity to call 15 coyotes out of those 15 stands. What do you shoot for? Obviously, <clears throat> when you're in a competition, you, you, you've got to kill coyotes. You've got to call coyotes and then you've got to kill them. You can't mess up and miss them. You can't. You know, you just, you've got to, you've got to, um, you've got to make it happen when, when the opportunity presents itself. I'm going to give you scenarios just like I had spoken of where I made 26 stands in a day. And then I'm going to give you a scenario of what I like to do is I like to incorporate good stands, quality stands, but my 
tactic was different in making quality stands. And, and I'm going to touch on that. A lot of people <clears throat> in today's day and age in the, in the coyote calling arena, they carry one gun, one weapon, and that's a rifle. And most of these rifles are custom built, suppressed, um, very accurate. I was a guy that pre predominantly, even in competition setting, would carry two guns, a shotgun and a rifle. And I'm going to, I'm going to use that example on the ladder. I'm going to talk about making a lot of stands versus quality stands. So back in the day, <clears throat> and this is, I think this was about 2008, 2009. I was in the national and, and that was in Rollins, Wyoming. And I had a buddy go with me on this competition. My brother had since retired from competition calling. He got tired of all the politics. Um, I think I said this in another podcast, but we were accused of cheating one time right when we checked in and my brother lost it. He, he was, and bless his heart, Jeff, Jeff was a college athlete. He, he ran track. He, he went to nationals on the indoor 600 outdoor 800. He still has a high school record at Sandy Creek in the 800. So 30, 32, 34 years, he's had the record at track in track. And that guy can keep up with me. And it's more like I'm trying to keep up with him when we're on a set. But when somebody has integrity and good character, they're not going to cheat. Um, so it affected me too. I was pretty, I was pretty upset, but I was the one having to calm my brother down. Um, he was ready to go to fists and, and there was a lot of people behind us that were PO'd too. And they wanted to go fist and cuffs. And it, it was kind of a, a circus, if you will. And that's the day. That's the time my brother said no more. And we entered one more hunt that Lance Homan put on in Manhattan, Kansas. And that was more or less to say hi to fans. And that was to interact with people. I don't even think we placed in the top 10. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember, my gosh. But they had like, I think, 70 to 80 teams. It was a good competition. It was fun. A lot of good people there. <clears throat> but Jeff and I did that um, just to kind of break the ice again, get out there and, and hunt together without a camera. And that was fun. That was really fun for us. But getting back to the story, <clears throat> competitions now are different than what they were when I started doing them. Because a lot of these competitions have went by. They went by the wayside. I think, I think the rules are, for lack of a better word, ridiculous. Um, when, when you went to the National in Rollins, Wyoming, I became friends, good friends with Norm Heater. He did not take no crap from nobody. 
whenever you have, and I've talked about this, whenever you have a competition, you can start out with 10 rules. And they are bona fide rules. If you're an average man of integrity and character, you know what those rules mean. Now, if you are someone other than that and you lack integrity and you have very low character, you're going to bend that rule to mean something else. And that's why I talk so much about narcissism, psychopaths, sociopaths, is because people in today's day and age have got to bend things in their favor because it's a look at me, look at me um, crowd of people anymore. We've got Facebook, we've got Snapchat, we've got Instagram. The bulk of people that want to have their face in a selfie all the time. They are ego driven. They have got to have people notice them. Okay. So understand there's people that specialize in bending rules. They've got to. Okay. But if they ever get called out, they're gone. They, they, they've got to disappear. They've got to because you just injured them and that's just the way it is so anytime you have a competition that's paying money there's probably a class of person in this competition that's going to try to bend a rule to their favor to to help their outcome okay that just comes with the game you can't have a hundred teams over a 10-year span every year and everybody is going to be honest okay you i didn't realize that until i've gotten to where i am in life okay i've i've always thought that everybody was good but there is a lot of deceitful deceitfulness out there so when you're entering entering a competition Number one, your integrity and character should always come first. You need to be a good person, no matter what the circumstances. If you can bend a rule once, don't do it. Because that thing is always going to come back to haunt you. It may not come back to haunt you right now. Five years down the road, it will. 10 years down the road, it will. It'll actually probably bear its, bear its ugly self in a different form, okay? So I talk about this to, to make everybody that listens to me a better person. It doesn't have to be that I'm giving you self-help and I'm just a self-help channel. I'm actually a hunter and using hunting as a, a way to give you self-help. I, I want you to be a better person in the end, okay? I like it, I really like it that younger guys reach out to me wanting to be better callers. I really do, I think it's, I think it's wonderful because if they reach out to me, it tells me 
that they have integrity. They have character already because they don't think they know it all. They want to learn. I want people to learn. Now, can I be a great teacher? I have no idea. I hope that I can. I want to teach. I want to be able to give you experience and give you knowledge from what I've learned because I'm telling you, in all the competitions I've been in, in all the times when I got out of a competition and my eyes are beat red from being out in a 40 mile an hour wind all day, I haven't drank one ounce of water, I haven't even eaten a candy bar, and I am exhausted because I went so freaking hard. It's a professional sport trying to be a competition caller. You have to be on your game. If you want to win, you've got to be willing to work harder than the guy that wants it worse than you do. So I had to compete against the Hydes. I had to compete against Cal Taylor. He's a he's a federal trapper and you know and, and other state trappers, county trappers. These guys kill coyotes for a living. They know where they're at. I don't have time to go out and look for coyotes all the time. I'm a farmer. I'm a, I'm a business owner. So I've got two, three days to scout. I can't, I'm not out there seven days a week looking and knowing, well, geez, I seen 20 coyotes yesterday. I need to be going calling there. If I see 20 coyotes in one day, I know that's where I got to concentrate on calling. I've got to spend some time there. Because even if those coyotes have been called, some of them, there's some of them in there that have never heard a call. If you understand what I'm saying, you've got to take the law of averages. Not every coyote that you see is going to be out loping around the hillside. Because if you've called and missed a coyote and you've educated him, chances are he's not running around out in the wide open, you know, and let you see him. They are skittish. They don't want to be out in the wide open so we're taking a, a roundabout way to get to my uh what i'm going to talk to you about but i think all this is valuable information no matter no matter how much i can say it or do say it it it, it needs to be pounded into your brain that you know if you want it you got to go after it okay you can't sit on social media and say, I think we're going to win this weekend. <laughs> you can't say that, you know, it takes so much more than just going out one time and winning one hunt. You've got to be on your game. You've got to be hitting on all cylinders and you've got to be really fine tuned mentally, mentally. When coyotes came into my call, when coyotes were coming in, when they hit a particular range, like they came over a hill, I instantly told myself, coyote, you just messed up. You're going to die now. That's how confident I was. I didn't care if that coyote winded us and was on a run out. I knew I was going to kill that coyote. That is how confident I was. My ability today even speaks for itself on running shots. It, it, and you're only seeing a microcosm on Predator Quest and my, my shooting ability with running shots. I have literally amazed myself on running shots. Like I don't even know how I've done it. Um, 
but that didn't come by not shooting at a coyote because I thought I was going to miss him. Every shot, I thought, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. You've got to change your mindset and get in a whole different area of your brain and tell yourself you can do it. I, I get a lot of people telling me right off the bat, I can't do it. I don't know how you're doing it. If you're telling yourself you can't do it, you're probably never going to do it. You know what I mean? You've got to change your mindset. And that's why whenever I talk on my podcast, I can get pretty rambunctious. I can get loud. Is It's because I want you to understand how passionate I am. Yeah, my day for competitions has come and gone because I don't I, I, I don't need to be in a hunt ever again. I don't want to be. My heart is not there. If my heart's not in it, I'm going to get beat. I don't I, I, I just I've been there. I've done it. I've done it for upwards of 20 years. I competed in competitions and that was enough for me like I, I i excelled in it i i placed against the best of the best back in that day and now it's a different era it, it, it's all e-call i was a hand caller i kicked butt on hand calling i can do all that and i'm still good at it i could give a lot of people a run for their money and probably beat a lot of guys but if your heart's not in it you're never gonna get to the level you need to be at to win consistently, okay? I, I've been around people that have said, well, we got a good ranch secured and they're seeing tons of coyotes. We should be able to win it this weekend only to get their ass kicked. And they, you know, you can't base winning a competition off of getting a good piece of property. You can't do it. You have to have numerous good pieces a property or good places to go. It, it, you, it, my brain, when I was a competition caller, I had two or three backups in my mind at all time. When I was making one stand, I actually already knew where I was going to make my next stand. And that just comes from driving through the country and looking the country over because my, my eyes are like a giant... Um, computer and as I drive across the country and I'm like oh geez I could call a coyote over off that hill oh man look at this drainage yeah up that drainage right off the side of that hill over there yep with a predominant wind southwest yes I gotta mark that in my mind so as I drove through the country I always remember spots I'm that guy that just remembers spots I'll remember a hundred spots I've walked in on stands before the wind was hitting me on the back of the neck. I just turned around, walked right back out, and we drove down the road five more miles. I, I've done that many times, okay? So, going back to the question, do you make more stands in a day or do you try to make quality stands? So, with what I just said about walking in the wind hitting me wrong, and turning around, walking out, what's kind of my thesis? My thesis for what I did was I tried to make quality stands because in my mind, if I can make 15 stands in a day, 
and know that I'm going to call coyotes on two thirds of those stands. So I'm going to call coyotes on 10 stands. A 10 coyote day is manageable. Okay. On a, a day and a half hunt, a 10 coyote day is going to beat 90% of the competition at least. So how do you do that? You've got to be on your shooting game. You can't miss. When I say you can't miss, you can't miss, okay? That means being tuned in with your partner. Because see, there's you, you can't have it. See, my brother and I were never. And see, this is kind of, <laughs> we're kind of drifting off into different segments of this. But all of it is valuable information. You, I hear so many guys. Well, if he come, he was coming to the right, so that's my partner's coyote. My brother and I never did that. But that's why we were so good together. He predominantly held the shotgun. And he would take a 223. Why did he take a 223? Because him and I knew if I had a coyote coming in, and I was crouched down in the sagebrush and that coyote hung up at 70 yards and was just staring me down and I couldn't move. My brother could slowly pull up his 223 without that coyote even knowing and he could just pop. You know, a 223 is so accurate at 100 yards. You can even be wiggling a little bit and you're still going to drill that coyote. That is one of the reasons. And another reason is if I called in multiples and I'm shooting at different coyotes. My brother had coyotes right by him and he couldn't shoot. And they were 60, 70 yards because, because he only had the shotgun. So he would just sit there and watch me shoot. So that gave him an opportunity to make some shots too and try to knock down a coyote. So him and I were on sync that it was never a right side. It's his left side's mine. Never in a million years. I carried a, a shotgun as well. So if a coyote came in between us, I could kill it. And he, many times, many times, my shotgun went off and it scared the crap out of him. He had no idea there was a coyote right by us. And I would shoot my shotgun. And I'll get into another story of why I say quality stands. And this is going to hit home a little harder. But like I said, Quantity of stands versus quality of stands can even be broken down into your weapon that you're carrying. Because when you call a coyote, you got to kill him. How many times have you called a coyote into 10 yards with your rifle and he came in hard left and your rifle's facing out in front of you or facing the other direction on a bipod? That coyote's got to take two steps to go over the hill that was right beside you. How many times has that happened to you? But it, but it happened in a competition setting. So all you have to do, my shotgun's always facing to the left because I'm a right-handed guy. So all I got to do is one quick motion. I've shot tons of pheasants and quail in my life. So it's like shooting blue rock, man. He turns to run, boom, he's done at 10 yards and all you see is fur. You keep calling, you call in another coyote. You know what I mean? That's how you do it. 
But in a competition setting, you make a quality set, you better have a quality mind frame that you got to kill every coyote, you know? So, so basically, I've got to go get some more coffee. My coffee's getting cold, and I like warm, hot coffee, actually. So, I want to get back to the quantity of stands. I... I did that in a hunt and I marked out how many stands we made. It was really windy. So that was another reason we were making so many stands and we were filming. And I've spoken about this in other podcasts and other Facebook lives, but I made 26 stands that day, windier than snot. It was probably upwards of 40 plus mile an hour wind all day. And could have been gusting the 60. I think it was. The next day was even worse. It was horrific. Um, but that was why that's Wyoming for you. You know, I called, and on that day, 26 stands, I called in eight badgers. I called a couple badgers from over a half mile away. When I first saw them, they were so white, I thought, I thought. That they were coyotes coming in but i could just tell it just looked too tiny and and that was even days before i carried binos much you know and when you're calling in badgers you're probably in a in an area that doesn't have a lot of coyotes that's what it told me because i'll go 10 years and not call in eight badgers ever again in my life you know usually i'll call in one badger a year if i'm hitting it hard um, because they come to the call too, but that particular day I called eight badgers in one stinking day. So let that be a, a note to yourself, right? So this day I made 26 stands. The last stand of the day, we've been hitting it so hard. No drinking water, no eating, no nothing. I was physically exhausted and the weather, it got so freaking cold. I was froze. We were on the four-wheeler. We made our last stand probably two miles from the pickup. And as luck would have it, I'm kind of calling a crosswind, but it's almost with the wind kind of scenario because it was a huge basin Last stand of the evening, I said, I've got to call this spot, and I know there's got to be a coyote here somewhere. So I, I positioned my cameraman, my friend, and then I went with the wind. I walked out there another 60, 70 yards and sat right in a little clump of sagebrush in a little draw. And I called, and I saw two coyotes coming. And the first one was way ahead of the second one. And as they got closer, the, the lead one instantly started going downwind. And I'm like, son of a buck, I'm going to have to make a moving shot here. They weren't slowing down. They weren't stopping. And I never called again. They just kept coming, kept coming, loping. Boom, boom, boom. So the first coyote was probably 150 going right to my wind and really close to hitting it, loping broadside. So I had to get on that one, make a moving shot. First shot, boom, just rolled it. 
then a jack around and have to find the second coyote and then that coyote weaving through the sagebrush leaving it was probably at least 250 running hauling ass out and i shoot again and smoke that coyote so i killed the two coyotes in two shots and by then it's pretty damn dark i mean the camera didn't even hardly pick up the kills and my cameraman never even seen the coyotes until i shot that's how hard they are to see anyway in the sagebrush when they're darker coyotes and i mean you got to be on your game anyway to see him because sometimes you don't see a coyote until after he wins you you see him running out you know so i made two shots killed two coyotes on the last day of the evening 26 sets that day and i killed two coyotes but that's how quick it can change you were at a goose egg all day and in three minutes, you have two coyotes, okay? So, we kill those coyotes, and then the next day, it's windier yet. There was gust over 100 miles an hour that day. And I think I killed, gosh, I want to say I killed three coyotes. I could be wrong. Don't quote me. Me and my buddy Don, we still placed in the national well, I think five coyotes is what we ended up with. I think. I can't remember, though. Gosh darn it. Um, but we still place pretty high, believe it or not. So we made 26 stands, kill two coyotes. Okay, that's the one scenario of banging out stands. I've always been the guy in competition setting that I want to go after the quick coyote, the quick response. I figure 20% of coyotes are going to react within three to five minutes. And you're going to see them coming to a call. 20% of coyotes. Then I'm going to say it's going to be 30 to 45% of the coyotes are going to be from five minutes to about eight minutes. That's a very crucial time right in there. Eight minutes is a really, really solid time frame for coyotes coming to a call. If they've heard the sound, if they hear you distress calling from the time it takes them, from when they hear it to getting to where you see them, eight minutes or when you can shoot them, eight minutes. Then the remainder, or I'm even going to say, you know, uh, five to eight minutes, five to 12 minutes, somewhere in there. The remainder, 20% of coyotes, somewhere in there, 25% of coyotes are going to come from 12 minutes to 20 minutes or 12 minutes to 25 minutes, 12 minutes to 30 minutes, somewhere in there with 10 or 15% of them coming from 12 to 20 minutes. So you take the law of averages and what you're trying to do is you're sitting on a stand for 12 minutes. Okay, Bob, let's, we got to get up and get out of this spot. But what, it looks really good. There, there's probably a coyote here. Well, it's, it's 1159. We got to get the heck out of here. I don't think I would ever, ever go by that. I've never looked at a watch in my life when I was in a competition arena. I just go off of what I judge time to be. But, 
I've always been that guy. If the spot's really good, I always give it a few extra minutes. I always do. I got to, right? And every one of you listening to me has an idea of what your perfect spot looks like or your good spot. So always throw that into the equation as well. So that's the one scenario where we made 26 stands in one day killing two coyotes and that was going hard and you have to you have to cover a lot of country to get 26 stands i'm not on one ranch going down a rim making 20 stands you know what i mean i, I you know we might unload the four-wheeler take five minutes to get to a spot make a stand go all the way back to the pickup load the four-wheeler get back in, drive five miles, and go make another stand. Like, that might be the consistency of hauling butt and doing 26 stands. So, you can still be proficient at that, but that was a really windy day, too. So, on a non-windy day, we might have hit pay dirt with that. You know, we don't know. But like I said, this was in my documentation and remembrance because I wrote down every stand. And then there's another scenario. And this is why I'm going to say this. I talk about using the shotgun. I'm going to talk about a stand. It's amazing when people ask me questions, I instantly can think and go, there was that time in the competition and this happened. We won the Midwest this year, me and my brother. This was probably our last year that we entered it, that he entered it with me together. We, we won it two times, and then he, he quit doing it, and then I entered it three more times and got a, a second and two-thirds, I believe, with other partners. So, so this next time, we're making quality stands. Quality stands, you want to sit a little bit longer, you know, so you're not making as many stands in the day. You're giving your set possibly even five minutes longer just because you you want to get, get into that next percentile of coyotes that would come in, the percentage that might up your game. So... So say you're, you're able to make 15 stands, maybe even 17 on a good day, but give them a little extra time. So then you're calling 12 coyotes, you're calling coyotes on 12 stands. You see where I'm going with this is giving yourself a little bit more time to sit there a little bit longer. <clears throat> but I'm going to give you a huge secret huge secret. I've always said it takes three things to get coyotes to come in or it don't get them to come in, but you have to have three things. You have to have, uh, you have to have a coyote out in front of you when you set up number two, that's number one. Number two is that coyote has got to hear you when you call. And number three, that coyote has got to want to come into you. That's, that's the three things that you have got to have in order 
to be successful on a stand. Okay, so if you're in a competition arena and you're you're went 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 always calling soft, is a coyote out there a mile going to hear you? No. I am a volume caller. I call loud, but I don't call loud constantly. I I I may start off soft, but I blow. I go really loud and I come right back down because I want that sound to go a mile. I want a coyote to sit up in his bed and go, what the heck was that? And then he waits for two minutes and he's just listening. He's eager. You're building up his adrenaline. You're building it up because he, he thought he heard something. So now, so what have you ever done when you've been in the deer woods? You thought you heard something walking on the, on the, on the leaves. You, you just freaking start really, really paying attention. You're you're listening hard, and 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 you actually start getting a drilling. I think I heard a deer walk. I I know I heard something walking. Something's something's in these woods with me. It changes your whole mindset. So if a coyote a mile away heard you go really loud and come right back down, and he just caught that, and then he didn't hear it anymore. He's like, what the heck was that? I think that was a rabbit. So then he sits there for a minute before he hears it again. Then he's eager to come in. So I like to blow loud fairly early in the stand to get the coyotes on their way to me. So it don't take them, take me getting, you know, you hear stories. Well, I start off soft and then I work up the volume in next five minutes. Next five minutes, I'm blowing fairly loud, but I don't hit the peak of my volume until about 12 minutes into the stand. You've heard all of that crap, right? Those guys kill three coyotes in a day, okay? That is the old time. We're talking competition calling now, okay? This is how I've done it. I'm a loud caller. I blow loud. I tune my calls. I cut my own reeds. I sand my reeds. I I blow my call to get the maximum volume out of it. Maximum. Okay? And th- that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. And I've talked about cutting reeds and doing all that. I've forgotten more about cutting a reed than a lot of people will ever, ever know. I can tune calls by my hearing, which I don't have a lot of it left, but I can tune my own calls with what I know the sound needs to sound like. Okay, so making quality stands has to have other things involved in it for you to be successful. You've got to be willing to run the volume up early in the set, run it clear loud and come right back down. Don't leave it high. You want to go clear up. You want things a mile away to hear it and then come right back down. And then your next series, you play a little bit louder And you go up again, go really loud, and you get really crazy, and you come right back down. You do that 
to get those coyotes coming to the call that would otherwise never hear you. If you're going by the old standby well, start out soft, go up gradually, go up gradually again at 12 to 15 minutes, I'm blowing as loud as I possibly can and then I taper back down. Those guys could not compete with me, okay? They couldn't do it, they never could anyway because they aren't physically fit like I am. They can't, I, I'm, I'm walking hard into a stand. You, you got cut corners everywhere. I cut corners on the walking in because I want to give that stand a little bit more time. I may walk harder into that set just so I can get another minute out of that set, you know? So it's a great, great, great question. More stands versus quality stands. I'm the guy that leans to quality sets, okay? I've always said, if I'm having a bad day in a competition, I will drive 15 miles to go just look at new country and make one stand and give it a chance, but I may kill a triple on that stand. If you understand what I'm saying, if you get in a bind, you've always got to be willing to try something new. And trust me, in competition, I've been there, I've done it. I've, I've called and called and not having no luck and change it up and then you kill a double just that fast. Then you make another set, kill another double. Then you're right back in the ball game, you know. So I talk about shotguns. You guys know this. Everybody nowadays is just rifle, 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 and more power to them. I can shoot a rifle too. I'm good at it. But my brother and I's forte back in the day was shotgun and coyotes. Very few people could compete with us because, like I said, I, I said this on another podcast. In all of my years of calling coyotes with my brother being in front of me with the shotgun, he missed one coyote that I seen him miss. One. He killed so many doubles. It was stupid. Doubles that we would have had trouble killing with a rifle because the ground was so broken. All they have to do is run over a hill and they're in a draw and you never see them again. But he smoked them. Boom, boom, done. Okay? So that's one benefit. The second benefit is this. When I'm carrying a shotgun, and I'm carrying a rifle. I'm going to give you a scenario what happened in the Midwest. And we won this hunt. But I'm going to give you an example. The wind was straight out of the West. I hate a West wind, especially in the afternoon, because you've got to look right in the sun if you're calling into the wind. We made a stand previous to that where we sat on the backside of a hill. We were calling with the wind. And I didn't want to look in the, at the sun and we were calling a new pasture and I wanted to open it up. So we called with the wind. We sat on the backside of the hill. We had the sun at our back. We were in the shade. We made a set and here comes this big old coyote coming hard from our left, loping. And he's running right to get into our wind. And he's not slowing down. And Jeff wasn't out in front of me. He was sitting pretty close to me. And this coyote would not stop. I'm screaming at this coyote. I'm hollering because going through sagebrush, I didn't want to have to shoot a moving shot. And it was a great big male. 
he kept going and I had to make a moving shot, probably a hundred yards and he's loping fast. So I just got him in the scope, poof, pull the trigger, whop, drilled him. So all of my shot went east. Okay. The wind was out of the west. We just got in this pasture. So we go get him. And then we jump in the pickup and we don't even go three, 400 yards over another sand dune. So the next set we're calling straight west and there's a huge basin out there. It's just solid sagebrush as far as you can see. So my brother goes and sits down in front of me and we are shining like two beacons in the sun because the sun is so bright. I set behind on on my knees i crouched clear down on my knees behind a sagebrush because the sun was so bright i didn't want a coyote see in my face so i was hiding behind the sagebrush i put my rifle up on the bipod and left it set up in the eye in the sky you know the barrel and stuff because if it's not moving it ain't shining it it would shine but that coyote if he's coming into a call he's not gonna he's not gonna notice it unless it's moving you know and he's not going to get spooked typically. So my brother's down in front of me, probably 20 yards. And I'm on the side of a hill. And to my left or to the south, there's there's a little knoll. And then I can't see nothing. Like Coyote would have to come up on that knoll about 50 yards from me. And I could see him to the left of me. But I had my SB10 Remington on my lap. So when I'm crouched down facing west, my SP-10 is facing south to the left. And then my rifles faced in front of me straight to the west, or maybe a little bit to the, to the, to the northwest. And so I'm crouched down. I make one loud series and I shut up and I sit there and I'm crouched down behind this sagebrush, just peeking through it, just looking and looking. And I might have made another quick series, but on those kinds of scenarios, I call pretty loud and pretty obnoxious, and then I shut down. I, I, I would only call for 15, 20 seconds and just shut up. And I sat there for a minute or two. Pretty soon, my brother in front of me is just going, he lip squeaked. So I knew I had one coming in front, or at least I thought in front. So I'm looking pretty hard in front. Yep, I see one coming. I seen him shining. This because as he's walking or trotting through the sagebrush, he's flickering because that sun's reflecting off of him and he's light colored. So he's coming straight in front of us, right to my brother Jeff. And then he just stops. I'm like, what the heck? Typically when a coyote's coming in good and he freezes, he either sees you or he sees another coyote. And this instance, it was a ladder of the two. So I'm peeking through this sagebrush and this coyote is just standing out in front of us, not moving. And he's about 150 yards, just standing there. So I slowly turn my head to the left because I'm instantly thinking another coyote, another coyote. And I look to the left and I shit you not, I had a coyote standing five yards from me, looking right at me, staring at me. 
staring right at me five yards away and my SB10s pointing right at him. So quickly, <laughs> I thought, okay, this is going to scare the crap out of Jeff, but I'm going to drill this coyote and then get on that other one going away. I did exactly that. I smoked the shotgun coyote, got on the bipod, the other coyote took off, and I got on him and smoked him. I mean, within five seconds, the whole deal was done just that fast. But on this scenario, there is no way that I could have swung my rifle to shoot the close one because I had my Harris bipod up. I would have hit sagebrush. I would have totally messed everything up. I would have swung to get him. He would have run over a hill, would have missed, wouldn't even got a shot, would have went back to the front of me, and I probably would have never seen that coyote again. So in that situation, I probably would have not had any coyote at all. But instead, because I was carrying a shotgun, I smoked one and I smoked two. So in two stands, we killed three coyotes in that pasture. But it was making quality stands, but there was other factors involved that help us to make a quality stand. Because like I said, in November, you should be calling coyotes on two thirds of your sets if you understand how to make a stand. If your eyes know where the coyote should be and if you're setting up and doing things that you should be doing, you should be successful at calling coyotes in November, in December, you should be calling coyotes on two thirds of your sets, okay? So that's how I base my competition calling and what I base it on. But when a coyote comes in, you've got to be able to make it happen. You've got to kill the coyotes that are somewhat unkillable. And those are the coyotes that show up fast. And all they got to do is take two steps and they're behind you and gone. You, those are your bonus coyotes. Those are the ones that everybody else is not getting because it happens too fast. We were the team that we made it, it, it we were 100% on so many of our calling ventures. So many of them. We were 100% on kills. But that's because I was a phenomenal rifle shot. He was a phenomenal shotgunner. There was a time in the National when we killed 15 coyotes in a day and a half. I killed 13 of them with the rifle. He killed two with the shotgun, but we would have never won if it weren't for those two coyotes. So understand your team player, team member, has got to be on the same page with you as well. He's got to be willing to not be a hog because there's times in the competitions too that Jeff never fired a shot. But there was one time in a hunt where he killed 10 or 12 with the shotgun, and I only killed two or three with rifle. They were coming in that good. But I'd much rather have a coyote come into a shotgun because I almost think it's a 100% guarantee. If you Once they hit 30, 40 yards, and if your only weapon you're holding is a shotgun, you're going to kill that coyote because you're going to be in tune with when you can kill him, and that's when you pull the trigger. 
if he comes in so close and then spooks and he's going out, but he disappears in a draw, you just pull up and you're going to be patient. As soon as he comes through that draw and he comes up that other side and he's at 35 yards and he stops to look back to go, what the heck spooked me? And then you smoke him with the shotgun. You're going to make sure you kill that coyote when you're, when you're holding that one weapon, like he was so many times. So this has been a long podcast, but it's been, in my opinion, a very valuable podcast for guys that want to up their game a little bit. Um, now, like I said, I strayed from quantity of stands versus quality. I strayed, but there's so many other factors that go into calling coyotes because you've got to analyze it. Okay, we can make quick stands and make a bunch of them, or we can slow down a little bit and make quality stands and make fewer stands. But on your quick stands, if you have a calm day, and you're only giving it 10, 10 minutes and you're wanting to go make another stand. When you're going back to the pickup, you have a coyote coming into that stand. So really, is it worth getting down the road to the next stand by leaving a coyote that was coming in? What happens when you're leaving three coyotes that were coming in? And then you make three more stands down the road where you don't call a coyote. and You could have had a triple by slowing things down a little bit. Understand that philosophy. I'm not saying sit there 30 minutes on every stand when you're in a competition. But you need to weigh, you need to weigh the averages to what's going to best suit you. I like, I like sitting at least 15 minutes on a set. I like that because then I'm covering a huge spectrum of the percentages of success I've had over the years knowing that I've killed a lot of coyotes from one minute to 15 minutes, and I've killed far, far, far fewer from 15 to 20 or 15 to 30. But in a competition setting, I have sat on a stand for 20, 25 minutes before because I wanted one coyote and I knew that coyote was there. I had that much confidence in it. So great question. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I, it's fun. I, I miss you guys. And I'm sorry I was, oh man, I was so busy with guiding whitetail hunters and it's been crazy. I've been very, very busy. Uh, but I love what I do. You know, I may belly ache a little bit, but just understand that you guys have been on my mind. I want to help you. I want all of you to be better people first and foremost. And then I want you to be better hunters because being a better hunter can ultimately make you a better person and vice versa. So let's, let's be thankful to God for what he has given us. Let's be thankful for our friendships, the family members we have in our life, even those people that hate us and despise us and uh, wish terrible things on us. Let's be thankful for those people as well, because they give us motivation to be better yet. I'm going to say a quick prayer. If you want to join me, great. If not, I understand. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for blessing me, blessing us, just giving us an opportunity at life, Lord. Thank you for giving me another breath of air. 
given me health, given me a life that has been fulfilling, and I hope I'm fulfilling your wish as well, Lord. We want to be servants of you. I want people to love you through my actions. I want people to see the good that I have through my actions. Lord, please help me to be a better person. Help all of my listeners to be better people. And just know that we love you, Lord. We love your creation. We love the outdoors. Thank you, Lord. Please forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, everyone. I've hit the limit. Until the next podcast, I love all of you. Have a wonderful day.